Welcome to the Call the Road podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Slaybaugh, and this is my podcast where I have people on to talk about motorcycles, uh, living with motorcycles, riding motorcycles, uh, pretty much anything motorcycle related. And this week, my guest is Robert Pandia. And Robert has a super unique perspective. He's been in the industry for several decades and um, has done everything from marketing to he started even a start organization that advocates for motorcycles and on this episode we're going to chat about some of those adventures as well as some of the really important work that he's doing that will keep motorcycle riding around for generations to come enjoy so i'm here with robert pandia and uh, welcome to the podcast robert hey thanks for having me yeah um so just give a little introduction about yourself. So Robert's been in the industry um, quite a long time in, in, in many facets. And um, just for people who haven't heard your name uh, and, and, and what you're about, uh, just give a brief introduction to yourself. Yeah, I'm, you know, it's funny. I've had a weird path getting into the professional side of motorcycling. But, um, you know, I picked up a, a little Suzuki 250 when I was 19, I think. And that was like, that was just pure transportation. And then I went to college and I was a professional photographer for a while. And then within that, had a chance to be a salesperson at a motorcycle shop and a service writer and that kind of thing. Uh, and I ended up uh, getting, a, after being a freelance photographer for a while, I, I met the marketing manager for Aprilia and a guy named Billy Stone, and he hired me, uh, moved to Atlanta, and uh, was with Aprilia, and Moto Guzzi eventually became Piaggio uh, Group, and then uh, I left that, because I didn't want to move to New York City, and I uh, ended up getting to work with uh, Victory Motorcycles as their uh, contract PR agency, and that expanded into uh, Indian Motorcycle, uh, and then concurrent with all of that sort of stuff was a mishmash of other motorcycle things, like being the spokesperson for the International Motorcycle Shows Tour and uh, running uh, like uh, Buell Inside Pass track days for a little while, uh, like all women's uh, track day event called Femmoto. Did that for like seven years. So been just doing a lot of that, and it's been a pretty pretty awesome career for the last 25 years. Nice, nice. That's incredible. And, and during that time... Um, I mean, I, I know you've probably ridden more motorcycles than a person can can remember, but are there any times, like, during your career um, where you e- either, you know, riding a bike at an event or um, just on, for your for your own pleasure, uh, you know, on your own trips that, um, that stick out to you, stand out to you? Yeah, for sure. You know, uh, I was, um, I met a guy named Jeff Nash, who's a Kiwi out of uh, Dallas, and uh, he raced Ducatis, had a little private sh- Ducati shop, service shop up there, and was racing a Ducati Super Mono. Now he owns Ducati Dallas. And um, we went out to Willow Springs Raceway, and I was racing my Honda Hawk GT and CMRA in Texas, and, you know, it was a consistent sixth-place guy kind of thing. Bike always looked good, you know, but yeah. I was slow. And um, anyway, so I went out to Willow Springs to help him, and he just put this super mono together. And it was a little bit wet up in the high desert, and it was cold and just kind of crappy out. And uh, nobody wanted to go out on the track, even though we had rented it. And he asked me if I wanted to ride the bike. So I'm on Willow Springs, the big track, riding a brand new 
freshly rebuilt Ducati Super Mono, of which I think there's only like 120 made and 60 or so in the country. And, uh, um, you know, brand new tires, that whole thing. And he knew I was going to be a complete wuss riding around on the track because I, did, I didn't want to be the guy to like crash the thing. So, <laughs> so I was the perfect guy to go out at Willow Springs completely by myself on this bike and get to do some break-in laps and stuff. And just the sound of that bike uh, by itself on the racetrack was amazing to him because he got to stand on the, on the pit wall and watch me rip by. And uh, that experience was just, I mean, it was just so fundamental and, and pure. It was really, that was truly amazing. Wow, wow. Yeah, and, and you've done, and I mean, you've done some, some longer trips too, um, you know, besides the track days. I, I th- um, don't want people to get the impression that you only, you know, ride, ride track days. You've taken a, I guess, what was it, a, a Indian, uh, was it a chief or a chieftain um, off-road? Yeah, I was, I was, yeah, I was fortunate to, you know, to be with Polaris when Polaris bought uh, Indian Motorcycle, and um, they, and I've always been good friends with the engineers and the designers and and those guys, and uh, um, so we spent a lot of time and energy uh, introducing the new Indian Motorcycle, and every press bike was immaculately clean, and the chrome was shiny and all that. And after a year of that, I got like really tired of that, you know, because I'm into adventure bikes and whatever also. So uh, so we took a bike that was destined for the Crusher. We named her um, uh, El Nora. <laughs> and the first thing we did is I took a big piece of sandpaper right to that big, beautiful chrome headlight nacelle and just scratched the crap out of it. And and. My my fleet manager guy was like crapping himself because <laughs> you know he thought I was gonna just wipe the bugs off of it and I took sandpaper to it and uh, and we ended up uh, turning a Crusher Indian Chief into a dual sport bike of sorts and uh, more of a dual sport bulldozer really <laughs> and um, and I rode that bike on the uh, Cannonball Centennial a great ride that. Uh, um, AMA Hall of Famer Don MD had, had put together, and um, I rode that bike from San Diego to New York, and and through that we probably did about, gosh, I'd say 350 miles, 400 miles of off road and gravel, and you know bombing through the desert. Only crashed it a couple times, so that was pretty good. <laughs> but a- uh, having a having a 750 pound, you know, dual sport bike with uh what did it have i think it had four and a half inches of rear suspension travel um was was an eye opener and i was the only guy to ride an american v-twin the same bike all the way across the country and i was the only one without a fairing (laughs) and and i was just clearly the the class clown on that ride but um you know cannonball baker rode an indian so i thought oh christ there's got to be at least one indian on this trip so i was the guy nice nice were there any moments in that trip where you're like you know i don't i don't know if this thing's gonna make it or if i'm gonna make it or maybe this was the wrong idea <laughs> yeah like every morning <laughs> so but it was uh i'll tell you this one we were going through the desert and um i had had uh i got a flat i got a pinch flat on the front tire some um somebody at a local shop just we put some kind of custom cut tires onto the onto the rims and they had just pinched the heck out of the um tube 
with mm-hmm. a tire iron. And, um, so 50 miles into the ride, all of a sudden I got a flat front tire, you know, and I, I limp it and I have to take it over to a local Polaris shop. I, I race to the lunch destination. I literally scarf down the meatballs out of a meatball sandwich, just as everybody else is pulling out. And, uh, uh, nobody wanted to go on like the, the dirt, like the, the official route, which was like real sandy. And, and I'm like, man, I'm doing that. I, you know, I came here to do that. So, so we take that me and like a, a guy who was like a desert, um, or AMA, I, I think it's uh, 36 or whatever, but, uh, but he was a desert racing champion who was like a chaperone through that section, mm-hmm. uh, a photographer named Barry Hathaway. Um, and the only other guy riding an American V twin was a guy named Randy Aaron out of San Diego. who's a custom bike builder. And he had an FXR completely stock other than he'd put like uh, a slightly bigger back rim on it and he had uh, knobby tires on it. That was it. Didn't even have like a bash guard or anything. It had like some national cycle fly screen on it. <laughs> he did. He just didn't care. I love the guy. And so, so here's this Indian and a Harley and uh, a guy who was on um, a KTM Super Enduro and Barry Hathaway was on a Super Tonnerre and we're bombing through the desert. And me and this desert racer guy whose name I'm blanking on, we hit a gully that cut across this long straight gravel section. Mm-hmm. And it threw me up in the air like four feet, five feet. And so, and I'm, I don't know what to do. Like I, I am not a, you know, a dirt bike guy. And I don't think that there is a way to turn or manage a 700 pound bike once it's already up in the air you know <laughs> yeah. and so <laughs> i came down like a ton of bricks i was half expecting the forks to break off you know it gets into a wicked tank slapper but you know hold it all together and kind of get back on the gas and keep going and i look to my right and the guy's right next to me on the ktm so he wasn't in my dust cloud mm-hmm. and he's like staring at me at 60 miles an hour just like shaking his head like i'm the biggest idiot in the world you know and <laughs> and i and 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 it was like I survived that. Uh, I had a, a you know self-induced electrical malady that uh, had me behind the group one day. But uh, but I I rode that bike all the way across the country, and I feel really good for for representing Indian on that trip. Yeah, that's incredible. That's incredible. I have this like mental image now of you like airborne with that thing. Oh my god! Up it's, a, it's it's like you know you know what it was. We were joking about it afterwards when we were having a beer and 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 I was still pulling my heart out of my throat. That it's like the uh, the guy who decides to jump the school bus over the motorcycles, right? Like I was that guy for, yeah. <laughs> for a second. So it yeah. was pretty fun. That's awesome. So where where's um it was uh was it Eleanor or Elsinore? El, yeah, Elnor, Elnora Elnora is uh, was Cannonball Baker's uh, wife's name, so we figured that uh, was a good name for the bike, right? Tribute to her. She must have been a pretty awesome woman. And uh, that bike is gonna get uh, well, it's I mean it's destined for the crusher, but uh, we're we're. It was a one of the development bikes. It doesn't even have a full VIN number on it, and legally, it's supposed to be disposed of. So mm-hmm. uh, we're negotiating her future right now. But uh, she could end up being, uh, you know, wrapped around uh, your next, uh, you know, drink of Coors Light or Pabst or something like that. I don't know. She could get recycled. I don't know. That'd be yeah. sad. She still got all her. She still got all her dirt and all her crap on her from from bashing around in the dirt so well, hash, hashtag save elsinore right 
Yeah, it's Elnora. Save, yeah, right. Save Elnora. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. there's a so somebody put up a uh, Save Elnora Facebook group. In fact, so uh, no way. So, yeah, that bike was on the cover of some European bike magazines, and Cycle World proclaimed it the world's coolest Indian. So that was that was kind of fun. So it's got it's got some history, even though I'm not with Indian anymore. It's definitely got some history, and I'm I'm proud to have created something that that people remember. Yeah, yeah. So, looking back, like, uh, with all your years of riding, I mean, I'm sure your motivation has changed from, you know, when you were first starting out to, to now kind of being a veteran rider. Like, what is your motivation now for, hop, you know, throwing a leg over a motorcycle and getting out there? Well, it's to come home alive. That's the first one. You know, when you're young, you're pretty invincible. Now now you're a lot more aware of the world. And and, uh, mm-hmm. and I've lost a few friends. I've, I wrote an article called uh, um, Ghosts in My Helmet. And um, that uh, was about the friends I've lost through motorcycling, either through accidents or or just motorcycle buddies that are, that are gone now, that have had heart attacks or, or whatever. And so... The um, the the thing that I think about all the time is the um, motorcycling and its its sort of built-in risk is a uh, is what a lot of people, even those of us who are in it, um, sort of tend to easily talk about. But what we don't talk about is what the rewards are, and it's, I think it's because those of us who are, you know, the converted uh, who get it. Um, you know, we just sort of take it for granted after a little while. And, uh, and I think when you take that half step back and you realize, um, you know, what an amazing country we live in and in a time of, you know, technical, um, acceleration that is, that is breathless sometimes, uh, what, uh, what it's like to just have like this analog of experience of sitting on top of a vehicle and riding, through the atmosphere. And, uh, I think about that all the time and I've got, I'm lucky enough to have like 10 motorcycles now and they range from, you know, uh, like a TW 200 scrambler project that I'm messing around with to my old Hawk GT race bike and, you know, a KTM 1290 super adventure. And I've got a, an Indian Springfield with a sidecar on it. And then on the other technological end of the spectrum is like a 1946 Indian chief custom that we just debuted at the handbuilt show. And, mm. um, and that is such a, like a raw analog bike. And so here we are in an era where, where you can be on a 1946 bike and still manage to get through traffic, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and, uh, and fit into the matrix. Uh, and you're not, you know, where they don't have flying cars and stuff like, you know, all the stuff that we, that we understand and dig, we still have access to, which is pretty cool. You know, I mean, yeah. you know, it's not like you can take a horse drawn wagon and start to use that as a commuter tool unless you live in like rural Pennsylvania. But, uh, um, it's, it, you know, as fast as things are changing, the appreciation and the goodness, uh, of what motorcycling is, is, is just, uh, it's so compelling to me. Yeah. Yeah. And along those lines, you started an organization called, uh, give a shift, uh, organization. And, um, a lot of, it's interesting because a lot of what you just expressed is I think really embodied, you know, kind of in, in kind of the, the mantra of your, your give a shift. And, um, can you talk a little bit about that? 
Yeah, sure. Give a shift uh, started. Uh, my contract with Indian ended like two Januarys ago, and uh, and I was turning fifty around the same time, and I decided to take a break. My uh, my dad's health sort of declined, and I lost him last summer, so it was a good chance to like just sort of just chill a little bit, and and you know, and drop out and and enjoy my bikes and get them all running. That's enough work in itself. <laughs> Um, and, uh, and so as I came, as I popped my head back up about, um, about three quarters of a year later, you know, when you're not reading industry reports and you're not dealing with it every single day, you just kind of, I felt a little out of the loop. So, so I started talking to friends and the issues that were coming up felt like something that we needed, that needed more public discussion than what was being done by, um, the AMA or the MIC or, or OEMs. And, uh, you know, I mean, OEMs are limited by what they're going to say from, for business reasons, as well as just for like federal law and stuff like that. And so, so we decided, uh, we, this is me, uh, decided to have a, our kind of a, a panel or a round table discussion. And I swear, man, I swear, I thought it was going to be like two six packs, like 10 of us carping for a little while and you know like a white sheet i thought that's what it was going to be and it ended up blowing up into this thing where i had like like 350 survey respondents and i had 40 people applying for what was going to be like a two-hour roundtable discussion yeah and if you do the math that's not a lot of time for for anyone to talk you know and so so we cut it back to like 25 people and uh we had a very compelling um discussion with a report that came out of it and all that's for free and available for anybody any of your listeners can download it read the entire transcript um, and understand what's all about it's all for free at uh, motogiveashift.com so uh and and that was all about um uh well going back to the track day analogy is you know when you're out on the track and a rider coach comes up to you in the pits and say hey i see you're struggling through this section if you were to just do this and this and this you know you'll be better Mm -hmm. and then we don't go like oh you're telling me i'm a sucky rider i suck you know screw you i don't want to hear from you anymore we're like oh thank you coach i'm you know and, and you go out on the track and you do that stuff and you get better so that's just that's the basis of constructive criticism, mm-hmm. and my gut tells me that as an industry, um, we uh, suffer from a lack of constructive criticism to elevate ourselves and to become smarter about motorcycling. Um, we're never going to have a hundred percent of the transportation world out there be into motorcycles. Uh, we're at uh, roughly. 10% or 7% depending on what you believe. And um so we'll be generous and say it's 10%. Mm-hmm. Uh if we get if we can get that to 12%, that's a massive increase for us. That's massive. And um and f- would fundamentally change the conversation around around those of us who get motorcycling. So that's really what give a shift is all about is to kind of help get everybody to talk about uh the challenges in the industry it's not all doom and gloom there's some folks out there who want to paint it as doom and gloom and it's not that it is about um uh, recognizing that there are challenges and uh that the people who have the best opportunity to elevate motorcycling are those of us who who already get it so 
yeah. that's what that's about. Yeah, and it's constructive criticism with the purpose of you know growing the passion and and bringing people you know introduce I guess bringing people into that passion and having it be around for many years to come for for people to to enjoy so that we can continue riding you know motorcycles as as there become more electric cars and um you know right. the autonomous like the autopilot stuff comes online and becomes more prevalent on the road so yeah well there's a, you know if you're into dirt bikes then you're already seeing issues with land closure mm-hmm. um you know due to uh, whatever i mean disrespectful people who are riding off of trails and tearing up Area, well, there's already laws against that. We just need to enforce the existing laws. So if I see a douchebag on a dirt bike out in the middle of nowhere, you know, making a mess of something, I'm going to say something mm-hmm. uh, because I don't want the riding area closed down. And then areas get closed down because of noise. But here we are with, you know, I have a zero electric motorcycle in my collection. And it's a fantastic bike and uh the altas are amazing and and so here's a bike that makes no noise so we just fix that right and the public out there again with us being only about 10 percent, the public out there has a lot more leverage to shut things down for us and we have to vocally defend that space and uh if you if you're an on-road person and you never see the dirt and you don't care about dirt bikes I could imagine a scenario where where diamond lanes, which we are allowed in, mm-hmm. uh, or or uh, you know commuter lanes, or whatever you want to call them, and different states call them different things. But they that eventually that diamond lane could turn into an autonomous vehicle only lane, and motorcycles are no longer allowed in it. And so that's that's something that we should all be on the same page of saying, uh, what is our signal pinging? device or frequency so that autonomous cars know that a motorcycle is there we should literally have some sort of device that i can i can wear on my body and i can put on any one of my 10 motorcycles that says i'm here you know don't come over into this lane because i'm here yeah and uh, even if the car doesn't see me and that sort of thing and that's the sort of thing that we should be fighting for is a unified voice yeah absolutely well, great. Well, this has been a great conversation. Uh, thank you, Robert. Where can uh, people, if they want to find out more, obviously, the I think you said it was giveashift.org. Or do you have some personal? No, no. It's it's actually uh, motogiveashift.com. M-O-T-O, give a shift with an F.com. And, uh, awesome. Uh, yeah, all that stuff's there, and, and anybody can get in touch with me for whatever. And, hey, I appreciate what it, what it takes to do what you're doing, and uh, I've had a chance to have a lot of different podcast conversations and it's great work and and thanks very much for that i appreciate it thanks robert happy writing to you all right we'll see you down the road well that wraps up this week's episode of the call the road podcast i always put up show notes and this week robert sent me some really cool pictures and a couple articles um he had mentioned the one that was done about um elnora uh that was on cycle world and i'll put link to that one up there as well as um a bunch of pictures of him and um you can see him run uh, ripping through the desert on Nora, which is pretty amazing um and then also one of his recent articles he just wrote one about arlen ness uh and really cool photos and uh, just amazing article uh, about an amazing guys so you can check those out at the call slash podcasts that's podcast with an s it's uh plural there and uh, yeah, check it out. And you can always reach me if you want to drop me a line. Um, you can reach me at the call the road at gmail.com. 
And then you can find the podcast at um, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, uh, pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts. And if you wouldn't mind taking you know 30 seconds out of your day, uh, just to leave a quick review on one of those platforms, that really helps out the, the podcast. So uh, thanks again for listening wherever you're at in the world, and see you down the road.